Hello, this is Alex Granado, senior reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Cindy Watkins. She is the president of the North Carolina Partnership for Children. Cindy, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Alex. And so kind of the the news hook for talking with you today is uh, the recent agreement over the so-called class size chaos. And part of the bill that passed that solved this class size issue included funding to um, eliminate the current waiting list for NC pre-K. So let me just start by asking you, how important of a move is that? It's incredibly important. And we're just so grateful um, here at NCPC and across the Smart Start Network that we have this great commitment from the General Assembly to focus on the needs of our youngest children. Uh, research has told us, and we know for sure, that the greatest return on our investment really is starting as young as we can and meeting the needs, educational needs of young children. So this is a great Great time to be four years old and living in the state of North Carolina. So when I talk to early childhood advocates about the waiting list, they're quick to point out that just because the waiting list is eliminated doesn't mean the need for NC pre-K is eliminated. Could you talk a little bit about why that is? I think that what people are referring to when they make that comment is that not all children who are eligible um, for NC pre-K are actually on the waiting list. Uh, which speaks to the need that we have across the state and in our local communities to really find the children that are at greatest need for this program. There is an income eligibility requirement, but there are also other things that the pre-K program looks at. And one of the primary um, indicators of whether or not a child will benefit from a uh, pre-K program is whether or not they've been in a high-quality early learning environment before four years old, and if they haven't, then that kind of pushes them to the top of the list. The problem really becomes how to find those children. We know where the children are if they're in regulated childcare, and many of them have been in since they were infants. But the children and their families who are not a part of that, who um, have not availed themselves of any regulated childcare, formal childcare, those are the children that are probably our neediest and also the most difficult to find. So by definition, those children are not on the waiting list. And so that sounds like an issue that funding alone cannot address. It sounds like a communications issue, an awareness issue. Are there strategies that people are using or coming up with to address that? Well, it varies across the state. Um, Smart Start has 75 local partnerships, and we cover all 100 counties, um, serving all children birth to five, focusing on health, family support, and, of course, high-quality early childhood education. I think the best chance of finding those children is through these local uh, programs and initiatives that are already going on. Many of the Smart Start partnerships have outreach and engagement activities where they hold uh, parenting classes, they do intensive home visitation programs. So the more that uh, we can get into the community, knowing the children, knowing the families, the better able we are to connect them with this program. And so I mentioned NC Pre-K, you mentioned Smart Start, and I know when I got into the education journalism field, I saw all these different programs and did not understand the difference between them, how they work together, what they all had to do with early childhood education. Can you give people some sense of, of you know, what's Smart Start? What, what's the difference between that and NC Pre-K? What are all these organizations that kind of work together to, to teach young children? 
Oh, very good question. Thank you. Yes, um, Smart Start's been around 25 years. Actually, we're celebrating our 25th uh, anniversary this year. And as I mentioned early, earlier, Smart Start focuses on all children, birth through age five, with a particular focus on meeting the needs not only of the child but of the family, working to increase their literacy preparation, pre-literacy skills, working um, around social and emotional development, uh, making sure they have access to health care, health insurance, they have developmental screenings. So Smart Start is a whole child approach. We don't just do health initiatives. We don't just do family uh, or parent education or family engagement. We don't just focus on children in care. We focus on children wherever they are and in meeting their needs. And we know that a child in Bertie County, for example, may have different needs and may have different resources available to them than a child in Wake County or Mecklenburg County. So our programs are really very locally driven to focus on the needs of the family using the resources of the community. The More at Four program, excuse me, the NC Pre-K program focuses on just that four-year-old classroom experience. So it's a 10-month program, about six hours a day, very high-quality classroom experience. Most of the work that Smart Start does focuses on classroom experiences, but not exclusively. So Pre-K focuses only on 10-month period, six hours a day, from the time the child is four until they go into kindergarten. So this is how Smart Start and Pre-K work together. Smart Start really lays the foundation for children to be successful in a four-year-old program. We like to say, or at least I like to say, that uh, the Pre-K program is not uh, going to be a cure for the deficits that children may have experienced before they got into that four-year-old program, nor is it an inoculation against what may happen later in their educational career. So Smart Star has been working for 25 years to really lay the, a solid foundation for children to have their health and educational and developmental needs met before they go into that program. Just an example of that, one of the reasons I believe that the pre-K program is successful um, is because for most of those 25 years, we put a great deal of our resources, Smart Start resources, into raising the quality of child care. So when a child goes into a pre-K classroom, whether it's in a private child care setting, in a school setting, in a Head Start setting, a lot of that quality has been built over the years with the investments that Smart Start has made in increasing the quality of those classroom experiences. And so you wouldn't think that early childhood education would be controversial, and it's not in theory. But I know that I've sat in um, you know, general, general assembly committees where they discuss the effectiveness of pre-K when they're trying to decide how they should fund it. And one of the topics I've heard come up a lot is this idea of fade out, which is this, is this idea that students who attend pre-K show gains over their peers but those gains diminish over time and um, in one particular study basically become equal to their non-pre-K uh, peers by third grade. Um, and I've also heard a variety of reasons why that is and how to prevent that. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about fade out and, and how that applies to North Carolina or doesn't apply. I think the study that you're probably referring to is the Vanderbilt study um, that did show fade out um, for children that were in their program. I think we're very fortunate to live in a state 
where we not only invest in the program itself, but in the quality of the program. Um, one of the things that happened in Tennessee that might contribute to the, the less than ideal outcome was that they really ramped up that program pretty quickly. So they had some pre-K programs existing and decided to go statewide with it. And within a matter of a year or so, they had all four-year-olds in this universal pre-K program. And it was in the scaling up that they compromised on quality. And in North Carolina, um, we're not doing that. We're paying attention not only to the quality of the teachers, but the quality of the environment in which the children will be getting the services. So I think it it all boils down to quality. You really do get what you pay for. And if you pay for a high-quality experience, then children are going to benefit from that, and those benefits will last throughout their educational career. And we were discussing before the interview that it also makes a difference that there are students who are not just doing NC pre-K, but are also involved in Smart, smart Start, so they have more of a continuum of early childhood education. Yeah, I'm glad you used that word continuum, Alex, because that's really what it's all about. Children don't just start learning when they're four years old or just start learning when they enter kindergarten. Children come into this world learning, and we know that the most rapid years of brain development are actually birthed through the age of three. So that's the reason Smart Start is putting such a focus on making sure we're getting to those children as soon as possible and making sure that they have the most enriching environments they can have, whether they're at home with a parent, whether they're at home with a neighbor or family or a friend, wherever they are, we want to make sure that they have really high quality enriching learning experiences. So I think uh, as human beings, we have a tendency to look and look at things in isolation, right? So we look at one program at a time, the effect that that one program has. We've talked about continuums with regard to Smart Start and, and NC Pre-K, but obviously, you know, children continue to learn after Pre-K. They go into kindergarten, first grade, second grade. How important are these when it comes to early childhood education and, and how how much impact do does learning in these grades have on the kind of student uh, these kids will eventually become? You know, one of the pieces of legislation that recently passed that speaks to that question is this Read to Achieve Act, where um, there's a lot of emphasis placed on children being able to read by third grade, because we know that children learn to read up until about third grade, and then starting there, they read to learn. So it's critically important that not only is the quality of learning and the environments in which children are in before they reach pre-K or kindergarten, those years are vitally important, but that learning needs to continue in those quality environments and those transitions. That's something that's gotten a lot of attention recently is the transition from pre-K to kindergarten, making sure that children are prepared for that, that their families are prepared for that. But then it's the transition from kindergarten to first grade, and we know that all children develop at their own rate and at their own capacity, and that the best teachers are the ones who meet those children wherever they are and take them to the next stage of development. So you can't assume that because a child has had a good and healthy early childhood experience that that's going to assure them success all the way through school. Those first three years or four years of public school, K through three, just continue to build on what has happened prior to that. And so I guess uh, kind of an overarching philosophical question for you is how are we doing with early childhood in North Carolina and what can we do better? 
we are we have a lot to be proud of in North Carolina. Um, the ongoing investment in Smart Start, making sure we're getting to those children and those families as soon as possible, um, and have been doing this work for 25 years. We've been a leader in the country um, for our commitment and, and investment in young children. Um, and we have a lot to be proud of with our pre-K program. The pre-K program continues to be evaluated, and it is one of the highest quality programs in the country because of all the various components. It doesn't just pay attention um, and focus on the cognitive skills. It pays attention to the social and emotional uh, development of a child, um, the health and nutritional needs of the child. So it's very comprehensive. So I think that we're, again, continuing to lead the nation when it comes to focusing on the needs of our, our youngest children. And I believe in, that in making these investments is really an investment in, in hope for the future because to the extent that we pay attention to the science, we can put our investments where it makes the greatest difference and the science tells us it's in those first five years. And so, again, I think North Carolina is on the right path, and we just need to continue to invest in what we know works. I was at an event last week where I learned a fact about early childhood education in North Carolina that blew my mind, which is that North Carolina is one of, um, I don't want to say a handful, I can't remember the exact number, but uh, one of uh, a few states out of 50 that actually has full-day kindergarten I didn't realize that not everybody did. Uh, yeah, uh, and I don't remember, I don't know the exact numbers either. Um, what you may not know is that we do have a uh, full day kindergarten, but children are not required to go until they're seven years old. Now, in North Carolina, most children go when they meet the age requirement, but nothing in our state constitution requires a child to go to school before the age of seven. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. I think many parents believe that their children might be better off staying at home uh, an extra year or so. Because of the science, though, around the brain development, I think it's critically important that as soon as children are ready, and we use the word ready a lot without having a really clear definition that we all agree to, but as soon as children are able um, to be in a group setting and socialize with other children and, you know, have an enriching environment, I, I believe you can't start too early. You know, we're talking about NC Pre-K, the extra funding to eliminate the waiting list, but you and I were talking before we started this podcast that that funding doesn't necessarily cover the full cost of NC Pre-K for students. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yes. In last year, about this time, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, did a report to the General Assembly that basically says that the funding that is available through the state uh, covers about 61% of the actual cost. And that means that communities are then having to figure out other ways to meet the full cost of the um, of the program, relying on either local resources. In many counties, Smart Start is investing heavily in the pre-K program um, just in order to make uh, not only cover the cost but to serve additional children. Um, some county commissioners are currently looking at what it would cost the local county or municipal government to invest in pre-K. So they're the program is high quality, and it's funded um, primarily by the state, 
but we have to always be looking for other sources of funding to cover the full cost of that. When people talk about education, they often talk about K-12 as one thing, pre-K, you know, universities and colleges, these are all separate systems and mm -hmm. separate programs, but there is a push more and more to have them all connected, to continue on this theme of continuum, mm -hmm. have this all be sort of one interconnected thing where all the different programs and systems work together to ensure that they are meeting the student from, you know, birth to graduation from college. Um, do you think we're going to see that more and more as we go into the future? I certainly hope so, because you can't think of a child and it's a child's experiences in isolation. As you said, it is the continuum, and it is sort of a scaffolding effect. You know, everything that a child learns at one stage of development builds towards that next stage of learning. And to the extent that we can break down the silos in which we um, have educational systems, whether it's a early learning system, a K-12 system, a higher ed system, and think of it not so much as discrete systems, but as um, pathways for learning. And these children and young adults start out learning and will learn for the rest of their lives. And these are just the systems in place that support them. And I'm really grateful that the General Assembly this past year mandated this B3, B3 um, Interagency Council speaking to sort of how things are broken down by the uh, various systems in which we work. So the B3 Council will really be looking at um, what happens during a child's life that gets them ready or ha have some reading by third grade, beginning to break down a little bit of that discrete barrier or boundary that has always existed between the pre-K education system and the K 12. So I think that this again shows foresight on the part of our policymakers to recognize that we need to more closely align those systems. Here again, focusing on the needs of the child, not on the needs of the individual systems. So are we now at a level where we have sufficient funding for these early childhood programs, or is there still more that needs to be done from a state level? I think that we can still do more. Um, the more we learn about the importance of those years, the more it calls us to invest in it, not only because it's the right thing to do for children, but we know that the rate of return or the return on investment pays huge dividends in the long run. So it really is a question of pay me now or pay me later. So we know that this is the best investment. And also, speaking specifically to Smart Start, we had a significant funding reduction during the economic downturn. And we've never recovered from that. Um, so our local partnerships are doing great work with the very limited resources they have. But we know that the need is much greater than the resources that are available. So I think if we can continue to think of ways to not only fund pre-K, which is vitally uh, important, but think about how we can fund that continuum and make sure that children and families are having everything they need in order to make sure that four-year-old experience is a good one. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you, Alex. We've been talking with Cindy Watkins. She is the president of the North Carolina Partnership for Children, and I'm Alex Granados, senior reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.